Yes, well, I'm sure you've all heard the saying that fact is stranger than fiction. And never has that been more true than in the year 2020. Breaking news this morning, believe it or not, Donald Trump, the man they said didn't win the presidential election for this year, although we all know he did, has managed to win the title of the man most admired in Amer by Americans. That's right. Donald Trump, President of the United States, wins the title of America's most admired man. He beat out Barack Obama, who had had the title 12 years running for reasons still unfathomable to yours truly. The only person who had a, a record of that uh, many years in a row was former uh, President Dwight David Eisenhower. Now, Eisenhower, you can understand. Eisenhower was a popular president. While he was president, he was also a hero of World War II, one of the most significant conflicts in the history of the world, which went on to change history for a great number of years. So one could certainly understand why Dwight Eisenhower would be the most admired man for 12 years running. Why Obama would be the most admired man for six months running is quite unfathomable to me. The man had no achievement whatsoever other than managing to get himself elected to the biggest office in the world, having done nothing his entire life. He received the Nobel Prize three months after he was in office, just presumably for being in the office, and I guess presumably for being an African-American man who got elected to the office, but certainly not for any deeds, because what can you really get done in three months, most presidents don't even have their cabinets fully seated uh, within the first three months. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show. Uh, you can do so by going either to the iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store for you Android users, and simply search for N period P period online podcast. It's free to subscribe, and this way you won't miss a thing. You'll be informed every time there's a new upload to the service. If for any reason you don't wish to use either of those uh, native podcast aggregator apps, simply go to your respective app stores in your devices and download the free Podbean app. Podbean is one of the preeminent hosting services that people use to host podcasts. If you go there, you can download that app for free, write reviews. You'll get notified whenever there's a new episode, same as you would in the uh, iTunes store, or the Google Play store. Wherever you listen to the show, it's worth your while to listen to it. And we would request of you a small favor, which costs you nothing except a few minutes of your time. Please write a review of the show. Try and give us a good review. Uh, don't just use stars. Make a few comments, even though it's only one sentence, because the more positive reviews and the higher the rating of the reviews that we get, the more quickly the podcast will grow as people search for alternative media in those respective app stores, our, our uh, offering will come to the top. But yes, it's true. Trump did win Man of the Year, so go figure it. Meanwhile, we're in the closing days of 2020, and that all-important date of January 6th, 2021, is going to be fast upon us. No. Those of you who haven't listened to the show, what am I talking about? Well, January 6th is really the only date that really matters. 
December 14th, when the electors are seated and the states certify, doesn't mean as much as January 6th, because on January 6th, the current vice president, who remains in office until the 20th of the year, is the one who runs the Senate, and the votes are counted in the Senate and certified by him and the rest of the Senate. The vice president is the president pro temp of the Senate. He leads the Senate, and he will be there on that historic date. Now, there is a constitutional procedure whereby electoral votes can be challenged on this day, January 6th, and it requires at least one member from each house to challenge the electoral vote. Now, there has been no shortage of members in the democratically controlled House of Representatives who want to, cha- who want to challenge it. Louis Gohmert, uh, among them, is one of the major men who have decided to challenge the electoral votes on the 6th. In fact, Louis Gohmert has even filed a lawsuit against Pence, not a hostile lawsuit, but a lawsuit that will allow Pence to make the final determination as to who should get the electoral votes or not. And this is going to get very interesting because the state of Pennsylvania, the state of Arizona, and the state legislatures in Georgia, they're all working strenuously to try and decertify the currently certified election results and electors, claiming there's more than adequate fraud. For instance, in the state of Pennsylvania, we recently learned that there were 6,900-some-odd thousand votes cast or ballots cast. But when they looked over the rolls, they saw there were only 6,700,000 people who actually voted. Now, why is that important? Because the margin of victory in Pennsylvania is 80,000 votes. Those 200,000 additional votes were all for Joe Biden. If they were disqualified, you don't need a calculator for that. That would give the election in Pennsylvania to President Donald Trump, bringing his electoral total from 232 to 252. And then things start getting very interesting. Arizona has 11. Nevada has 6. Georgia has 16. Michigan has 16. Wisconsin has 10. All these things are in a state of flux. So despite the fact that we have numerous members in the House of Representatives who are willing to challenge it, you still need someone in the Senate. Now, there have been several people who have said they would be open to the idea, but being open to the idea and committing to the idea are two different things. And right now, we just now have someone who was actually going to do it. Ted Cruz said he was open to the idea, among others, but he didn't commit. But Josh Hawley, the senator from Missouri, has now formally stated that he will challenge on the, on, on the part of the Senate for the Republicans, the electoral votes being cast on January 6th. In this article from the Epic Times, it's a commentary piece which states that President Donald Trump is obviously the leader of the Republican Party. And again, it references that Gallup poll that shows him as the most admired man in America. But should the 2020 election remain in its current dubious state, and should Trump decide not to run in the future, Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri has moved to the head of the class for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination. Why? He has done this by being the first Republican senator to actually commit to objecting to Electoral College certification for the presidential election of 2020. This courageous act, in conjunction with similar pledges already made by members of the House, opens the door to serious discussion of the election on the floor 
of the Congress. In doing so, Hawley has cited problems that several states had, particularly Pennsylvania, in not following their own election laws. Georgia's problems were demonstrated today by the testimony of an IT expert, uh, Garland Favorito, in front of the Judiciary Committee, and more. In fact, things stink so bad in Georgia, you, just when you think you've heard it all and that there's no evidence, you just hear more. Did you know that Stacey Abrams, the woman who can't accept the fact that she lost the race for governor in Georgia, you know, that ugly lady with the gap tooth, uh, she's the one that Joe Biden says that if I only had 100 of her, I could take over the world. She registered all these people in Georgia, and she was, had her hands elbow deep in this corruption down there. Did you know she has a sister who's a federal judge? And when a challenge was brought to federal court to purge from the voter rolls, these Democrats who have since moved out of the state of Georgia but continue to remain registered there, even though they registered someplace else, the state they moved to, Guess what judge the case landed before? It landed before Stacey Abrams' sister, Leslie Abrams. And she says, no, you can't do that. They have to stay on the rolls. Now, if that isn't corruption, I don't know what is. You have people who file change of address forms with the United States Post Office saying they were moving. Now, you could argue that that only expresses an intent to move. But then you can produce their voter registrations from the states they moved to. That's not simply intent to move. That's proof of movement. Once you're no longer a resident of a state, you can't vote in that state. You don't need to be a law professor to figure this out. You don't have to be an expert in election law or constitutional law. You can only vote where you live, period. In fact, I had argued many years ago that workers in New York City uh, who live in New York State but didn't live in the city itself should be allowed to at least vote in the local elections in New York City, in addition to where they vote in their homes, for the simple reason that they were forced, as a condition of employment, to pay New York City non-resident income tax. And as you know, the country was founded on the idea of tax, taxation without representation as tyranny. So it didn't seem unreasonable to me that if a, a municipal government wanted to compel you to pay non-resident tax as a condition of employing you, then they should be obligated to allow you to vote in a, with a special ballot that didn't allow you to vote twice for the statewide offices you otherwise would have voted for in your uh, city or town of residence, but to allow you to vote specifically for New York City-based positions because they were taxing you. And that, I was told, couldn't happen. Well, if somebody like that can't vote in those type of elections. What makes you think someone who no longer lives in the state should be allowed to vote in those elections? So I can only hope that that decision is appealed, uh, toot sweet, and overturned. But Josh Hawley has really made a name for himself with this decision, and now I think you will see other senators who will also join in on this movement. Senator Ted Cruz, for example, has already stated his uh, willingness to do something like this. So now that Josh Hawley is taking the step, uh, this thing may actually gain traction. And then, of course, there was that friendly lawsuit I alluded to the other day uh, about Louis Gohmert, Republican from Texas, filing a lawsuit to allow Pence to have um, the absolute authority uh, to make the final decision as to what electors 
uh, are going to be seated. But again, there is movement in a lot of these state legislatures to try and compel their states to decertify the electors. After all, the final authority does rest once again with those state legislatures. So if they go to Washington and say, look, these are the people that we have sat, and this is a constitutional issue, and the Constitution supersedes any statute, therefore we uh, request that these electors be seated. That becomes a very, very compelling thing. And I keep wondering, you know, there was a show years ago, uh, the McLaughlin Group, hosted by John McLaughlin. It was usually uh, about a half an hour. And they had Morton Kondracki, they had um, uh, Jack Germond, uh, they had that nauseating woman, Eleanor Clift, uh, who was a syndicated columnist, uber leftist. But Jack Germond um, was an old school reporter, and he once, uh, while speaking about the George W. Bush campaign of 2000, remarked how someone in the Bush campaign uh, must have had a very good ear, a third ear. The third ear in politics is the ear that listens to that which no one is saying. There's the one ear listening to what one side is saying, there's the other ear listening to what the other side is saying, and then there's the third ear which listens to what no one is saying. And right now, what I hear out of that third ear is deafening. I'm wondering why the left isn't crowing more than they are about this impending Biden presidency. It seems to me that the left is more scared of what might take place on January 6th then the Republican base is excited about what may take place on January 6th. In other words, what I'm trying to say is the Democrats, by their reticence, by their subdued state, seem to believe that Trump prevailing on January 6th is more likely than the Republicans believe it's likely. They think it more likely than the Republicans do, which to me is interesting. So if they're fearful of it, I'm encouraged by it. But the plot just continues to thicken. Now, even now, while they're trying to hustle Trump out the door, he's still fighting for the American people. We all know that he's tried to increase the uh, payment from the paltry $600 that they were offering him to $2,000. He was blocked in that regard by none other than Mitch McConnell, who's now safely been reelected. Uh, and now he's been joined in that effort by John Cornyn from Texas. I used to like Senator Cornyn, but he's proved himself to be a piece of garbage. He'll be one of the people, along with Mitch McConnell, whose name will be on my list that I will be sending you after January 1st of people that we have to oppose at the first available opportunity. The next time they're up for election, we have to make sure whatever term they're currently sitting for is their final term uh, in Congress. They, they have blocked this 2000 check. Now, McConnell. Uh, to his credit now, maybe not to his credit, he's being pressured. He's decided that he will be glad to give the 2000 if certain other things go, like this Section 230, which will remove liability protection from these tech giants like Facebook and so forth. Uh, but Cornyn's out there saying uh, this $2,000 is ridiculous. It's only going to help millionaires. It's not helping the people that have suffered in the pandemic. Um, now, Senator Ed Markey, a Democrat from Massachusetts had asked for a unanimous consent to approve the CASH Act, which would boost the checks by 1400 to the $2,000 figure. Now, the CASH Act has caps. For instance, checks would not go to any families 
making 350000 or more. Well, it seemed to me that would go without saying. Someone who's making 350000 or more probably doesn't need the money. Uh, but by the same token, maybe they need some money because their lifestyle is greater. So if, they don't, if they've lost their income, their, their mortgages and so forth were predicated on making that kind of money. But somebody who's got that kind of lifestyle, I don't think is going to be helped by 2000 That wouldn't be, a, uh, as the old saying goes, a past gas in the breeze, so to speak. Uh, but really, people making that kind of money shouldn't get it. So there should be a cap, but it should be a lot lower than... 2000. But what I would say to Senator Cornyn is what I said the other day. Uh, if this money is being wasted, it's going to billionaires. Look, I don't think it should go to rich people in America either, but I'd rather see it go to Americans of any stripe rather than the money you voted on to send to the Sudan and Egypt, 1.3 billion to the to Egypt, 700 bi- uh, million to the Sudan, 25 million to Pakistan for gender studies. Are you out of your mind? How does that follow? How is that warranted? And you're worried about overpaying Americans who may be a little bit well-heeled. I'd rather see a well-heeled American get a little money than I'd rather see some third-world dump get money that Americans worked for and sweated for. The hell with that. But that's what you have going on. And lastly, Sidney Powell just keeps on fighting. you got to admire this woman. Uh, whenever the left and the mainstream media try and portray someone as a kook, it tells me that you should listen to them, because that's the new thing in the left. If you say something they disagree with, you're either a racist, uh, a bigot, a xenophobe, or you're a nut. Meanwhile, they're the real nuts. Now, Sidney Powell, of course, had filed third-party lawsuits on behalf of the president, uh, said that Republicans in Congress should back Trump's election challenge if the Republican Party hopes to to survive. Does that sound like something very similar you heard here last week? Didn't I tell you that if they failed to save Donald Trump, that they'd be signing their own death warrant? That they might survive if they fail, only if they go down in flames making a valiant effort? But didn't I tell you last week that if they do nothing, they're done? Well, now you're hearing it again from a woman who's been around government even longer than I have, uh, and has been at the pinnacles of power and is much more familiar with it even than I am. And she's now saying the same thing. But I said it first. Trump, she said, won more than 305 electoral votes and the popular vote as well. He won the greatest landslide in history, she had written on Twitter, suggesting that if the election fraud were dealt with properly in the courts or in the state legislatures, the president would have at least 305 electoral votes. But the courts demurred. The Supreme Court, most contemptible of all, refusing even to listen to it, even though, as Judge Alito pointed out, we don't have discretion not to hear it. We're the court of original jurisdiction. There is no place else for these people to go. By virtue of being a state, they automatically have standing. This little new uh, bit of legal fiction they've come up with that these people don't have standing. Yes, of course, you have to have standing to bring any case in a court, but in a case of this type, states litigating, litigating against other states, by definition of, definition of the fact that they're states, they have standing. It's a given. Sidney Powell goes on to say, if the Republican National Committee hopes to survive, every Republican should stand up for the president now, adding that a multi-billion dollar donor told me There's no point donating at all when the election is rigged. 
Later, the formal federal prosecutor said that the upcoming Georgia runoff election seats held by Senators Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue could be tainted as well. Maybe they won outright. Maybe somebody else won. How do you have a a runoff from a failed and fraudulent first election? Get the first one right first. You can't beat this. You can't beat this. Trump, to his credit, is still fighting. And he said, unless Republicans have a death wish, it is the right thing to do. They must approve the $2,000 payments. So even after all has been done to him, the man is not bitter. He's still fighting for the people he was sent to Washington to represent. The little man. The American people. Now, this will probably be the last broadcast that we have a chance to do here at NPO uh, before the new year. We might get the opportunity to do a New Year's message for you tomorrow, but I doubt it. So in all probability, I won't be speaking to you all again until next year. But I wanted to leave you with something. As you know, I'm based here in New York a state that I'm now desperately looking to flee because the political climate and the social climate here has become untenable. But even in the face of the dramatic obstacles that have been put in front of them by the governor and the mayor of the state and the city of New York, New York entrepreneurs remain visionary and they remain flexible and extremely resilient. The neighborhood where I grew up in southern Westchester County was very Italian. As the years went by, a lot of the Italians moved away, and as a great new wave of immigration came from Ireland, that once Italian neighborhood became a very lively Irish neighborhood, filled with the spirit and the indomitable character the Irish people bring with them. Pubs went up, but not just pubs, pub restaurants, good food, good people, good fun. They've been hurt very badly by the actions of the governor and not allowing restaurants to be open past 10 or bars to serve alcohol past 10. Not even now, with New Year's Eve coming tomorrow night, with this strunz in Albany, Il Duce, Benito Cuomo, relax the regulations to allow these people to at least serve until midnight or maybe 12.30 so people could ring in the new year. So what do these indomitable people do? they've come up with a very, very clever way of celebrating New Year's Eve. All of the Irish bars in that area will be celebrating New Year's Eve at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Why? Well, my friends, because 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in the United States coincides with 12 midnight in the Emerald Isle. That's right. They're doing video uplinks to places in Ireland celebrating New Year's Eve as it hits Ireland first, five hours before it reaches our shores. That's what I call real entrepreneurship. If the leadership of our benighted state and states like New Jersey, Pennsylvania, California, and Michigan could display the intestinal fortitude and ingenuity in the face of adversity that has been displayed by these people in these Irish bars and pubs in my old hometown. Perhaps there wouldn't be a need 
for this sort of business alacrity at all. A happy and a healthy New Year to all of you. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.